With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM Monticello, WBCQ, 94.7 in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. You'll be hearing this tomorrow. It's, I'm recording it on Friday. You're going to hear it on Saturday, April 18th. And it's difficult for me to say, to <laughs> force a habit, April 18th without saying 1775 behind it. Because on April 18th, 1775, Paul Revere and William Dawes headed out toward Lexington and Concord to spread the alarm as they spelled it, they spelled the word A-L-A-R-U-M, alarum, that the Redcoats were going to be out, the regulars were going to be out, seizing firearms, ammunition, and provisions from the Colonials. In 1775, we were the freest and most prosperous nation on the planet. And we had 13 colonies, each of those independent. And uh, they were ruled by England. And the governor general in the Americas was Thomas Gage. He was in charge of all the British possessions in the Americas, from North America right down into South America. There were some British possessions in South America, Central America, the islands in the Caribbean, some of them, and it, uh, we, were, we were prosperous people, industrious people, farmers, shopkeepers, blacksmiths, preachers, cobblers, and, far, and you know, the people made a good living, and they were a Christian people. They all went to church on a regular basis, nearly all of them. A few reprobates that didn't attend, but basically uh, we were a Christian nation. And the, Brit- the British uh, began to become more and more tyrannical in the colonies. And we simply said, no, you know, we're not going to pay your taxes. Stamp tax, for example, tea tax. And they they took 
the tea from some ship that came from China, and they threw it in Boston Harbor. Well, salty tea isn't good for anything. So they, they threw tea in the, in the harbor. It was a Boston Tea Party. A bunch of colonials uh, dressed up as Indians, just in costumes. Everybody knew they weren't Indians. But, but uh, they threw the tea in the harbor as a matter of, of defiance against the king. This weekend, uh, we have a Project Appleseed event in Columbia, Maine. And Columbia has uh, is our home home range in Maine. It's the first, uh, the most, the only continuously active appleseed range in Maine is at Columbia. The very first one was held at Skowhegan, and uh, they never had any more after that. Nice range, but somehow it it wasn't followed up on, and we're back at Skowhegan. We had a shoot in Skowhegan last fall, and they loved it. And uh, the present officers at Skowhegan came to came to uh, Columbia last year to check it out. They'd heard some good things about it, and, and they loved it. And we got back into Skowhegan. We have six appleseed ranges in Maine right now. <clears throat> we have one shoot boss in Maine, me. I'm the only shoot boss in Maine. We need some instructors. A lot of a lot of instructors who would like to be become appleseed instructors, but they want to stay at their home range. When they have an appleseed event, they want to be available there, and they want to they want to uh, participate and support the program. But they're not interested in traveling. You you need to travel, and you need to tell the history. You need to know the history as to what happened on April 18th and 19th. April 19th was the date of the shot heard around the world, and it's Patriots Day. It's celebrated in two states. Today is a holiday in the state of Maine. Oh, excuse me. It's the 19th, which is Sunday this year, is a holiday in the state of Maine. It's a holiday in Massachusetts. And other states uh, put it on the calendar, noted in passing, it's not taught. And when we tell the history of what happened on April 19th, 1775, sometimes the people start crying. And when you tell about what happened and the sacrifice and these that these colonials, farmers, blacksmiths, shopkeepers, doctors, ministers stood up when needed and faced the most powerful army in the face of the world. The, the Royal British Army was the most powerful army in the world on that day. And Thomas Gage sent them out to go to Lexington and Concord and seize the firearms and the munitions and the provisions they had stores set aside, salt beef and salt pork and hardtack, hard biscuits that would keep in barrels. And you take those hard biscuits and soak them in water, and it's like rye bread, whole wheat bread. But it was nourishment. And they could boil oats. Oats are good for man or beast. Horses eat them raw. People boil them, but 
oats are good food, nutritious, and uh, and a pretty good laxative. <laughs> anyway, uh, we tell the story of what happened that day. We tell the story about Paul Revere's ride, and uh, William Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a poem about it, you know, 80 or 90 years afterwards, and Listen, my children, you shall hear about the midnight ride of Paul Revere. That's about where the where the accurate truth ends. And, and he told about places that Paul Revere didn't go and things that didn't happen and things that did happen and weren't mentioned. And uh, But it was stirred up the population that it, it promoted a, uh, a spirit of patriotism. And it was it was a worthy thing, even though he, you know, even though he didn't know all the details. We have records. We have know who was there, from which militias. We know it all. I, that's a that's a poor choice of words. We not know it all, but we know about all of the things that were written down back then. And. It's remarkable. It's inspiring. It's awesome what those people did in the face of the most powerful army in the world. And they told them no. That's what patriotism is. And after April 19th, we had a long war that lasted eight years before the British were finally defeated at Yorktown, Virginia. And they sailed out to sea. We let them go. We didn't want to kill them all. We just wanted them to go, leave us. And then we sat down and we wrote a constitution. And uh, it's not a big document. I happen to have one in my shirt pocket. And I'm going to present that to one of the attendees at our apple seed this weekend in Columbia. We have a lady coming from Africa to come come to our event and she wants to hear the story because she's heard about it from people that have heard it the story that we tell is the absolute truth we have documentation for all of it but people aren't taught that in the schools anymore the schools are uncomfortable with our history so they tell an alternative version of our history in the public schools now i'm a school board member and the main state constitution says that we are to have a Constitution Day every October. They don't specify a date because eventually that date will fall on a Sunday. So what they do is they have a in October every district is supposed to set aside one day to learn about our Constitution. And they don't even want the kids to see the Constitution, the real Constitution. Today they're taught about the separation of church and state. Well, this is some some idea dreamed up by a progressive back in the 1970s, 60s, that we had a separation of church and state. It's a bald-faced lie. The truth is that the government cannot establish an official religion and say you've got to be a Baptist or you've got to be a Episcopalian, or you up to be a Roman Catholic. That's it. They won't do that. It's unconstitutional. But the First Amendment also says 
that you can practice your religion when and where you want. Now, you, you can't set up, shut off Interstate 93 down in Massachusetts, which somebody did here a couple of months ago. They they changed them chained themselves to some concrete barriers, and they blocked off Interstate 93 for a few hours until they get some disc grinders out there, cut the chains off, and open the road back up. It was uh, it was a demonstration. I don't know if any of them went to jail or will go to jail for doing that. And I don't know why they did it, but we have uh, we have a right to practice our religion. I'm going to actually read it. I don't have to go very far to get it. Just dig it out of my pocket. Amendment 1. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's it. You go on to talk about freedom of speech, freedom of the press, peaceful assembly, and whatnot. But that's pretty, pretty straight up. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. One one sentence. And the people, the separation of church and state people, somehow dream up the fact that, that you know, religion and, and government are supposed to be separate. But government says we can establish we cannot prohibit the free exercise of religion, which is in school, out of school, at public events. You know, you can't disrupt the interstate highway, and you can't shut down Main Street in your tunnel unless you have an observance. The Declaration of Independence traditionally was read from the front steps of the meet, of the meeting house or the town hall. They would hold it up there and read it. I'd like to do that sometime. Invite people to come and hear it. You hear the words, it's it's remarkable. Kids used to memorize the Declaration of Independence in school. When in the course of human events and it goes on. I won't take up the time to read the whole thing. Maybe I'll do that on the 4th of July, on the show that falls closest to the 4th of July. By the 4th of July, I hope the show is coming from camp. I went down, and I got so anxious for spring, I went down with my snowblower and with the Kubota and blew out the driveway to camp. And uh, Easter Sunday, after services, uh, we found the parking lot wasn't full. <laughs> we didn't have enough room for the cars because of the snow. And they'd push the snow back with pickup trucks, you know, different church members plowed a lot. and They'd pushed it back as far as they could and as high as they could. And it was, the pile was five feet high and quite deep, you know, around the parking lot kept getting smaller and smaller. It's a paved parking lot which is a good thing for a snowblower because you don't pick up any rocks. But guess what I found in the pile? Stick of firewood. I don't know if it fell out of a pickup truck or how it got there, but 
But I found it with the snowblower. When she starts going thump, 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 you want to step on that clutch real quick. So we're going to have an apple seed tomorrow and Sunday in Columbia, Maine, at the Pleasant River Fishing Game Club. I don't remember the exact address, but you'll find it. That We'll have signs with arrows pointing to apple seed. And on April 19th, on all 50 states at the same moment. And we know the moment because we can read it on the GPS. We are going to have a memorial volley. We're going to fire 13 rounds. And we call out the names. Isaac Davis, aim, fire. Abner Hosmer, Aim, fire. Those are the first two were killed at Concord. Isaac Davis was a militia captain, and uh, and when he got up at four o'clock in the morning and got ready to go, somebody had alarmed his his town. He fired a couple of muskets in the air and rang the church bell at four o'clock in the morning. That means turn out and come help with whatever we whatever we need to deal with. Some towns had militias, some towns had training bands, some towns had committees of safety. So if you had a fire, they could try to put the fire out, or a flood, they could help to move people's stuff out of their house before they lost it all, and whatever. Whatever emergencies came up, this was definitely an emergency. Isaac Davis' children were sick. They had canker fever. Today we call it scarlet fever. The children that have canker fever, and adults also, vomit, and they have diarrhea, and they can't take in enough liquid to stay alive, and they die. They die of organ failure, and it's a bad way to go. There are no IVs, so if you're going out both ends and you can't get an IV into you, you're going to die if that situation persists long enough, and that's what most people died of back then. Unless they had a long-term illness like cancer or tuberculosis or something. But people that died of sudden illnesses died of dehydration. And that's what happened with the flu. You look, go walk through an old graveyard in the state of Maine, you see an awful lot of people died in 1917. Huge number of people. They got what they called Spanish flu. It was a virus. It might have been bird flu or swine flu. Actually, we don't know, but it was it was influenza. They knew that. They didn't even know what a virus was back then. They knew it was highly contagious. So Isaac Davis got up and uh, took his musket and his powder horn and his bayonet. He was the only militia group that had bayonets because he was a blacksmith and he made the bayonets for his militia in Acton, Massachusetts, next town west of Concord. And he knew the children, you know, were were sick. And he stepped up to the doorway and he turned to his wife and he said, take care of the children. He knew that he might not be back. When he marched down the road to Concord, 
and he stood at Concord Bridge and told the most powerful army in the world, no. A lot of other people there, 300 people there roughly at that day. The Actor Militia was there and the Sudbury Militia. A young man ran out into the field and said, Deacon, Deacon. And uh, Deacon Josiah Haynes was in this field with his ox. The field was just starting to dry up enough that they could plow. And he had his ox out in the field and he was plowing his field. Deacon, the regulars are out and they're coming for our supplies, our provisions and our munitions. And the deacon unhitched his ox, ran to the house in Sudbury, and ran from Sudbury to Concord, leaving the young men breathless behind him. Deacon Josiah Haynes was 80 years old. He didn't want to miss it. He was killed that day. 80 years old. Militia, you're a member of the militia up to the age of 45. And there's a story that I'm going to tell, make a particular point to tell it this weekend, because it's going to be important, because we have a lady from Africa that wants to hear the story. And back back then, the the leaders of the militias were elected by the militia members. They were usually a relatively prominent person in town. Many of them had served in the French and Indian War in 1755, 20 years earlier. 1775 is when the shot heard around the world occurred. And why was it, why did they call it that? It's because the people stood up in the face of the army and said no. That was an awesome thing. It was a revolutionary event. It had never happened before. And we did that. Our forefathers. And Isaac Davis turned in the doorway and said to his wife, take care of the children. She did. She didn't didn't remarry for a long time. Isaac Davis, you know, and all those men. There's a statue of Isaac Davis at, at the North Bridge in Concord today. It's an awesome place. You ought to come down and look at it because there are plaques along the way that says what happened. And uh, there are plaques that say, here lie British soldiers. And they just buried them alongside the road there where they fell. They gathered together a group of people. and you know, dog tags. They didn't know who they were. They just buried them there. Some of them were brought in and buried in the local churchyard as a matter of respect. And it says, British soldier. That's it. Don't know who he was. But he didn't get to go home to England. Came 3,000 miles to to perform the duties the king wanted him to do and uh, never got to go home. What happens in wars? We we do our best to leave no man behind. Sometimes 
look up the video of uh, what happened at the Yadrang Valley in Vietnam. They wrote a book about it, the, the general and the reporter that was there, and they said, you know, they called it, we were soldiers once and young. Well, in a manner of speaking, I was a soldier once and young. I served in the Navy in various places. But that's a powerful movie, and it's an accurate movie. Well, there's another one uh, that's kind of fanciful, and it's called Apocalypse Now. And a lot of the things in Apocalypse Now actually did happen. And uh, it was just, it was made as a parody of war. But a lot of the things there did happen. And uh, it was taken from news reports, and they were dramatized. But what happened in the Yadrang Valley when we flew hundreds of soldiers in there to try to do battle against the North Vietnamese Army, they were surrounded. They knew they landed when they landed them with with helicopters in there. They were surrounded, but they had no idea how big the force was that they were up against, and they were in there for four days. And you know the battle would would taper off a little bit at night. Excuse me. And uh, and as soon as they was light, days are twelve hours in Vietnam year round. The days don't get longer in the summertime. Yeah, the wet monsoon, the dry monsoon, the days are 12 hours. So you get, the night is 12 hours, and that's the way it is. Most people don't realize that. I certainly didn't before I went there. I figured I arrived there on April Fool's Day, April 1st, 1970. And, you know, I figured, well, March 21st is, is a 12-hour day. And, you know, days are going to get longer right up till June 21st. They didn't. It's just a, one of those things you don't think about. One thing a lot of people don't think about is ice jams and floods in the spring when when the rivers melt. And the jam at Allagash had not broken as of this morning. I'm hoping that the, when it does, the Weather Service will will mention it because the jam at Allagash Bridge goes up four miles all the way to Big Rapids. And and it's thick. And when it jammed, the river went up up 15 feet in depth in less than 30 minutes. A lot of water going down the St. John. And there's a lot of water in the snowpack. And there's a uh, and the snowpack is saturated. It's it's 30 percent water. Get, when you get uh, a foot of of fluffy white snow. Dry snow, powder snow. It's easy to shovel. It's easy to blow snow blow, and there's not a lot of density to it. And they say on the average, an inch of snow, a foot of snow is an inch of water. Well, it is on the average, long term. Some of that fluffy snow is a lot less than an inch of water. And you get some heavy wet snow. It's really hard to lift. Well, that's more than an inch of water in less than a foot of snow. So right now the pack is saturated at 30% of moisture content everywhere, everywhere in Maine. What snow is left is 30% or more. 
So when that warm rain hits Monday night, uh, there's going to be a very fast runoff of what's there. That snow, you hit saturated snow with hot water, and it's going to melt quick. It melts a lot quicker than ice cubes, you know. And the river will find a way through the ice jam at Allagash or around it, one or the other. That's it. You uh, you just, it's awesome to watch when the, when the ice jam goes. And it makes noise, it grinds, it crushes, it tips over trees, and you hope it doesn't get up near houses. The old-timers learned that you don't build a house right on the riverbank. Just uh, long-term, the house might be there for six or eight or ten years, but eventually the ice is going to get it. I saw a camper go down the Penobscot River in the ice pack. It probably came from Mattawanke. Uh, It was just going down the river. Nobody in it. There goes this camper sitting right in the middle of the ice pack. I don't know how far it went. But it probably broke up around Chester because there's a set of rapids just above the Chester Bridge. And the camper probably became discombobulated about that point. The weather uh, is going to be a beautiful weekend. It's going to be bright. It's going to be sunny. And on Monday afternoon, it's going to be good through Monday. And then Monday evening... We're going to have some rain, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be heavy rain. We don't need that. The gas prices in uh, down in Lyman, the price of gas is two twenty nine, and I saw it at two twenty four a few days ago in Gray. I was down in Gray a few few days ago. But it's 229 all over southern Maine today. I mean, from Richmond, Portland, Whitefield, Windsor, Scarborough, there's dozens of stations that are 229. And then there's Coffin's General Store in Portage, 269, highest price gas in the state. And then, of course, you've got all the gas stations in Madawaska are 267. Except for one, we got uh, a station up in Madawaska that's 265, and then they go on down. Caribou, they're 264, but the highest price gas in the state is Rustic County, which is no real surprise. The National Weather Service doesn't have any good news for us. They've uh, the snowpack is saturated, and we're going to get uh, a warm rain. And there's five to eight inches of water in the snowpack in northern Maine. In, in eastern and southern Aroostook County, there's three to six inches of water in the snowpack. And it's they describe it as being very ripe. So as soon as it rains on it, there's going to be a whole lot more runoff than than the amount of rain. Uh, 
scan this thing right now. The next 10 days is going to be colder than normal and more, more precipitation than normal, starting Monday. Good weekend coming. Take advantage of it. But we're going to get a, a colder than normal precipitation. There's going to be snow. You know, I hate to tell you that. But there's going to be some snow next week and, the, and into the following week. And there's going to be some rain. And there's going to be some flooding. And the what's left of the ice jams are going to go. Now, Mattawamkeag River is still tight. And what National Weather Service describes thin ice as less than 10 inches thick. We've got some 10-inch thick ice where the river's moving. And the Mattawamkeag River is going to flood. It always does. When that ice jam comes down through, it's spectacular. Uh, it, it, that's one of the most picturesque rivers where the, that jams up. And when it jams up at, at the Slough Gundy Heaters, if you haven't heard that term before, the Slough Gundy Heaters are a spectacular place to watch the ice go out. It's safe. But the risk is that when it goes, it'll flood the road between there and the town of Mattawamke. You're going to be stuck there until... Uh, it goes down unless you're on a four-wheeler and you can take some back trails but four-wheeling season doesn't open till may 15th you're not supposed to ride the trails because you're just going to tear them up and and uh you destroy the ground and landowners are going to say no you can't use my land because you're tearing up the ground and i can't afford to fix it so the clubs are going to be hauling some gravel putting in bridges there's a place down in town of Lee where where they've got what they call the bathtub. You can rinse off your four-wheeler because it's right up to the headlights. They're going to put a bridge across that. The uh, potential for ice jams is above normal for northern Maine. This is particularly true in the area... <clears throat> In the near term, as temperatures will remain mild through tonight and Friday, that was this is last night's forecast, which you're hearing on Saturday. And ice jams in place, remaining ice cover is weakening. The threat for flooding is definitely above normal through the end of the week. Therefore, colder thereafter, colder temperatures and lesser amounts of snow melt will abate the threat somewhat, but any ice that remains will be prone to moving and or jamming should warmer temperatures and heavy rain occur. Central and southern Maine, the threat of ice jam flooding is below normal. Much of the ice is flushed out, and I noted that yesterday the Piscataquis River ice was gone, just a few chunks floating down from about Maxfield down. Now, the Piscataquis still has some ice jams up around Milo, Abbott, and places like that. So, this is the next winter spring flooding potential outlook will be issued by the Caribou National Weather Service on Thursday, April 30th. Well, there's a whole lot going to happen between April 30th and <laughs> and now. I would think that they would come up with some some more more uh, up to date stuff. Maybe they will. Not not out there right now, except for what the Allagash. Above Allagash, boy, I tell you, when a river comes up 15 feet in 30 minutes, that's an event. 
That means the ice is jammed right to the bottom of the river tight. And uh, it will let go. When it does, you're going to let go all at once. Apple Computer has bought is or is buying a big chunk of land in Maine. 32,400 acres in Aroostook County. Right down at the bottom of the county, just southwest of Haynesville and northeast of McQuahawk is the town of Reed. And I don't know if that land was the old international paper land or whether it's whether it was the Fraser land. I know Fraser had a big chunk in there. But they're buying up 32,400 acres. Apple wants to use the use the wood to make pulp for their packaging. Apple is biomedically conscious country company and they want to assure people that that their packaging comes from a sustainable source. Well, you don't get much more sustainable than the Maine when it comes to wood fiber because if you don't mow a field, there's going to be a forest in it. Jump back, out, get out of the way because there's going to be a forest in it if you don't keep the field open. I like to watch people bush hogging fields. I bush hog fields for people. I got my Kubota. I'm not taking my snowblower off right just yet. First thing to go on after that will be the backhoe, because I got some backhoe work to do. But I like to see people bush hogging fields to preserve the fields, because from 1940 to the present, as I testified down in the legislature last week, we have gained an average of 77,000 acres a year of forest. Gained. So the people that tell you we're losing our forests are just bald-faced liars or ignorant. The environmentalists are bald-faced liars because they know. And the other people that, re- that issue their press releases and print stuff are ignorant. They don't know any better. They're dumb. When they tell lies. But sometimes they're just passing on information. They don't realize that they're telling lies. They're just ignorant. This is not name calling. This is just factual representation of the facts that be. We can cure ignorance. You can't cure stupidity. It's just, you know, that's just the way it is. But you can cure ignorance through education. We're trying to do that. That's what we do with Project Appleseed. We cure ignorance with education. If the people are ignorant of their heritage and the sacrifices that our forefathers made for us, that can be cured. We can tell people what happened, why it happened, how it happened, when it happened, where it happened. I mean, it's just all, everything it should be in a newspaper article is there. Who, what, where, when, why. We used to teach that in schools. So, in the state of Maine, Apple Computer has, has is helping a conservation group to buy 
32,431 acres. Now, to give you an idea what that number means, a township is six miles square. And that is 23,040 acres, one township. And most townships in Maine are laid up at six miles squares. And if you've got a major river or a mountain range or something, you've got some irregular towns. The town line is, on, is at the river because, you know, it's inconvenient to cross the river. There's sometimes of the year you cannot cross the river before bridges were there. And they just kept all of the town on one side of the river, and the other side of the river was was more town, a different town. The town of Lincoln is a big town. It's, it's, uh, it's nearly two full townships. And they have what they call a half-township road in Lincoln, which is, you know, Lincoln just wound up taking over a lot of land. It was the biggest town in the area, and it was settled first, and then a bunch of other towns sprang up around it. The town of Lee is the next town east of Lincoln, and Lee is six miles square. Springfield is six miles square. Carroll is bigger than that. Carroll has got a kind of a corner that hangs down on the southeast end of Carroll. And it was poor land. You know, Vinegar Hill and Carroll is, uh, is a unique place. It's a glacial moraine. It's huge. There's bedrock there, but there's a lot of boulders in the town of Carroll, granite boulders, and trees growing in between them. But it's tough land to, to log the old-time loggers called it bony going. And the river drivers, when there was a set of section of river with lots of stone obstructions, they called it bony going. And farmers, when they're plowing a field that's got rocks in it, they call it bony going. It's an old, you don't hear it much anymore, but, but that's what the old-timers called it. Well, these townships were six miles square, 23,040 acres. I don't have to look that number up. And Reed Forest is 32,431 acres. Now, and that's precise. They know exactly what it is because it was privately owned. Still is privately owned. The unique portion thing about this particular tract that's changing hands is that they're going to use it for forestry. They're going to cut trees. It's a traditional use. The unfortunate part of it is that there will never be another hunting camp built there. But this this particular, I mean, there's a lot of hunting camps up in the North Country. And this particular arrangement that Apple has worked out for this township and the reason they gave them the money is they want they want it to be used for sustainable use of wood products and they want to employ the people local people that are loggers and local people that support loggers Apple wants to support Maine's economy unlike a lot of the environmental groups who do not want to support the local economy. And they, these environmentalists uh, will tell us what they want for us. It's all written down. 
and I I have I collect their quotes, and when they write, then they say something that is particular, particularly important. I write it down. Now Maurice Strong headed the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. This is where they go lots of nations together, and he said, "Economic growth is not the cure; it's the disease." And he also said, and I'm reading in a quote, isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't that our responsibility to bring that about? And Peter Burley, president of the National Audubon Society, said, we reject the idea of private property. And J.H. Robbins said, protecting the environment is a ruse. The goal is the political and economic subjugation of most men by the few under the guise of preserving nature. Peter Singer, the father of animal rights, that's quite a designation. He said, Christianity is our foe. If animal rights is to succeed, we must destroy the Judeo-Christian religious tradition. Well, the Judeo-Christian religious tradition is that we should be good stewards of the land. And the reason the environmental industry likes Maine so much is that we private landowners that have owned it for the last few centuries have taken such good care of it. Now, every now and then we have a calamity like the spruce budworm came through and killed a lot of spruce. Well, and every time you have chaos and calamity... The progressives take advantage of it. You know, they say, oh, never waste a good crisis. So they said that the evil corporations were raping the earth when they salvaged the dead spruce and the dying spruce. They didn't need all that spruce in one year, and they stored it for two or three years to use it up. But they salvaged some of the value that they lost. Spruce budworm ruined the spruce forest in the state of Maine. It's coming back. But the spruce budworm is coming back. It does that every 30 to 50 years. Well, guess what? It's been 30 years. 1975 to 85, we had the spruce budworm here. 85 was 30 years ago. So between 30 and 50 years, the spruce budworm comes back. Spruce budworm says, you know, these budworms and and moths are not the brightest creatures on the face of the earth, but they, when they have a huge food supply, well, they multiply rapidly. Gee, what a surprise. Like everything else. So, when the spruce budworm comes back, we're going to have a problem again. But we don't have as many paper mills. Two mills in Millinocket and East Millinocket are gone. And the pulp mill in Lincoln blew up a few years ago. There was no pulp mill in Lincoln. The next pulp mill, the only pulp mill left on the Penobscot River is the one in Old Town. And you're going to see the environmental industry pinging on them. What they want is to take out all the dams, get rid of all the pulp mills, 
All the sawmills are anywhere near water. They want a quarter-mile setback on the Penobscot River with no new development whatsoever within a quarter-mile of the river. And they say that. And that's what they want. Lincoln is having a problem. They they put in a new uh, a new gas-fired turbine to burn natural gas, and it's producing steam and it's producing electricity. So the mill is becoming more self-sufficient when it comes to energy than it used to be uh, since the pulp mill went down. Pulp mill and the and the uh, the recovery boiler that recycled the chemicals from the pulp mill and sent them right back through and used the chemicals over again, produced a lot of steam to dry the paper and power turbines and produce power. It's a very efficient unit. Lincoln Pulp and Paper is the only fully integrated, privately owned pulp and paper mill in the world. It was. No longer because the pulp mill is gone. You can't fix the pulp mill. It's you could build a new pulp mill if you could justify it economically. Chinese have bought the mill in Baileyville. Red China has discovered toilet paper. They think it's a wonderful thing. And they're going to build six tissue machines in Woodland, Maine. And they want they want to burn they yeah, they want to use uh hemlock is going to be their primary species because they sent some people over here, and they did some research. And they know that this spruce budworm is coming back. And the supply of spruce is going to be limited. And they want to run six tissue machines. They're building the, the first one is being built right now, today. And as soon as they get that building up and enclosed, they're going to pour foundation for the second one, and they're going to have six tissue machines. Well, Tissue doesn't, you know, a ream of paper weighs five pounds. That's five pounds of paper. And a box of ten reams is 50 pounds. So, but five pounds of tissue takes up a lot more space. And, uh, and they're going to produce large rolls of tissue and ship the rolls to China for conversion. Converting plant to make paper towels and various other uh, tissue-based products is labor-intensive. They're not going to put that in Maine for the same reason that a lot of other people don't put factories in Maine. It's uh, high cost of labor, high cost of of regulations, and uh, it's regulations for the most part and taxes. Regulation is what, is what uh, causes industry to leave, and the economic conditions in general. There's lots of other factors, but when you're trying to decide where to locate a business or which which business to shut down, like Bowater, for example, has got paper mills all over the place, and they own Millinocket for a while, and they passed the Kyoto. Treaty. Now we didn't. We never ratified the Kyoto Treaty in Maine or our nation. And I went down and I spoke to Senator Collins and Senator Snow 14 years ago down in Washington D.C. 
met with her face to face, and I argued, please do not ratify the Kyoto Treaty because it's it's an economic disaster for Maine. It's a, it's an incentive to shut down Maine mills. I also said, please do not ratify uh, CARA, C-A-R-A. And the CARA is called the Conservation and Reinvestment Act. That doesn't sound too bad. Conservation is a good thing. Reinvestment is a good thing. But the property rights people in unorganized territories, united back then, called it the Confiscation and Relocation Act. Because that's what happens. They confiscate timberland and natural resources, and they drive people out. It's called rural cleansing. And the environmental industry doesn't want you here. They don't want me here, especially me, because I point shine the bright light of truth on them. Bangor Daily News today uh, had headline news, front page, Apple funds aid Maine forest. What they're doing is simply buying it. 32,400 acres. It isn't being aided. They're buying it because they want to have a sustainable uh, source of funds fire into the future for their packaging. And if it's going to be sustainable, sustainable is okay. You know, I mean, we're more than sustainable. I, <clears throat> the environmentalists talk about carbon dioxide and, and saving our forests. And we create 77,000 acres of forest a year. Can't do that forever. There won't be any more open ground in the state. We're the he- most heavily forested state in the union. And when we created 77,000 acres a year for the last since 1940, and we have created over 5 million acres of forest. Not much of it was planted. It just grew. That's what Maine does. We grow trees. It's a wonderful thing. So 70,000, excuse me, 5 million acres of forest, more than we had in 1940. Five and a quarter million, actually. And with all of those forests are made out of carbon. Now, the carbon didn't come up through the stump out of the ground. But the trees get water from the ground. And that's and it comes from the roots up into the tree as the tree grows. And the roots goes up and down. Maple syrup, people know that you can tap a tree when the tree is frozen, there's no sap comes out, but right now uh, we're nearing the end of the sugar season. It was short, but we might just uh, be able to go a little further because when the tree starts budding out, the maple syrup doesn't taste good anymore, and you're going to stop. So, five and a quarter million acres of forest, mature forest, and young forest has got a whole lot of carbon. And the environmentalists talk about carbon sequestration. Well, we're sequestering more carbon in the state of Maine per square mile than any other place on the planet. We have done that. 
Maine private landowners have sequestered more carbon than any other political entity on the face of the earth. Tell that to the legislatures down there, and you know they're sitting there in a row like a bumps on a log, like jurors called in for jury duty. And when you feed them the facts, you can, sometimes you can see the light go on. Some of the legislators will sit there and they're doing something else, fiddling with their cell phone, and sending text messages to people, and laughing at the at the citizens that go down testify before them because they seem to think that they know everything. Some of them are eager to learn. Some of them are eager to learn. And when you go down there and you tell them that, they write it down and they remember it. Wow, we have created five and a quarter million acres of forest in the state of Maine since 1940. That's huge. We did that. Maine's private landowners did that. Land for Maine's future did not do that. Lands for Maine's future limits access. First thing that happens when they buy something is they put up a gate. You can walk in there and look at the flowers. They can shoot a bird. But if you shoot a moose, you're going to have to quarter it right there because there's a gate. You can't drive your pickup to where the moose is. Or your ATV either. Now, some Land for Maine's future sites are good. Boat launches are good. I like boat launches. I think a person ought to be able to go put their boat in. And there are some lakes that you can't get to. You can go fish them. The law says you can fish those lakes, but you've got to hike in. And it's okay that some some lakes are, are hike in. You hike in there, you pitch a tent, and spend the night, fish the next day, and hike back out. It's good to have that experience. We've done it. We've canoed all these rivers, wife and I and the two boys. We flew into Baker Lake before there was a bridge at Baker Lake. Flew in with Scotty's Flying Service. He dropped us off. You got everything? Yep. Okay. See ya. You're committed to going down the St. John River. And we've done that. We've canoed the Allagash. And the east and the west branch of the Penobscot. And lots of other rivers. We went down to southern Maine and canoed the Saco River. It's like going to the carnival. <laughs> what a bunch of people down there come up from Massachusetts and party going down the river, having float trips, and leave all their trash behind. Not an enjoyable experience for an outdoorsman. But there are fish there. Good fishing. Good fishing in most all the Maine's rivers. Oh, I just realized. You know what? I didn't turn my cell phone off. Turn it on here for a second. 9.58. I got two minutes. So, been an interesting day. A guy sent me an email last night. He and his wife are coming to Columbia. They're still signing up. You, You can still sign up to go to Columbia, Maine. You know, appleseedinfo.org. Or you can just find your way down to Columbia, find out where is the Pleasant River Fishing Game Club. I want to go to an apple seed, and you can show up unannounced. We will accommodate you. If you can't find 22 ammunition, we'll scare some up somehow because people show up with more ammunition than they need, and they tend to be a sharing group, as our forefathers were at Lexington and Concord. We don't sell anything. 
But if you come down this year, you're going to get a fine T-shirt. It's bright red. And it says Project Appleseed, and there are flags. On the back of the shirt, there are 12 of the flags that that the colonial militias used in the various colonies, all 13 colonies. And to hear the story is awesome. Jack McCarthy's father came to an apple seed up in Rooster County. We put on Liberty Seeds, too. We will come to you even if there's no range. And we talk to the homeschoolers. We talk to churches. We talk. We go to libraries. And we will come to you. No charge. It's important that Americans learn their history, and they're not going to get it in the public school. It's just a sad truth. There are public schools that ignore our Constitution and our laws, and they do not have a Constitution. They, they do not teach what happened at Lexington and Concord. The average high school graduate gets out. He knows that George Washington was the father of our country. We defeated the British at, at Lexington, which is not true, but they were taught that. And Betsy Ross made the flag. That's it. That's what the average citizen knows today. They don't know the sacrifice. They don't know the courage. And this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscious of Maine. Just as soon as I scroll back up, I'll tell you all about it. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello. WBCQ 94.7 in Monticello and all the way down to Danforth and right through the sustainable forest in Reed. 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. When you're driving at night for the next week, be real careful because water can come up 15 feet in a half an hour. It happened this week, 15 feet. You drive into into standing water on a road at night, you could be swept off into the woods with your car, be pinned between two trees and drown right there. It happened. Fair warning. So be safe. Look out for each other. God bless. Wise men follow him. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.